Before we start this show, just a word from our sponsor. 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest that pro wrestling has had to offer. Along with their awesome line of pro wrestling apparel, they do offer many services. In the world of wrestling, there are hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads. Don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. If you would like to discuss possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or whatever, drop them a line. Go to 20 by 20 apparel. That's the number 20 X, the number 20 apparel.com. Now let's get to the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bum me, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my asses. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh the Word podcast. I am your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And on Fresh the Word, we like to deliver wisdom through great stories from the minds of bright creatives of pop culture. Through those stories, we like to dissect the journey of our guests and present actionable lessons and advice for our listeners, no matter what career or avenue of artistry they pursue. And this is episode 130. And this episode's guest is Nick Reese, lead vocalist of the Southern California-based rock band Joyous Wolf who are now signed to the great Roadrunner Records. The band is about to embark on Buck Cherry's upcoming Warpaint tour, launching March 6th in Sacramento, California, going throughout the United States and finishing back up on May 5th in Montclair, California. During our conversation, we talked about how all the bands they've toured with have been like mentors to them. The band's live show and their interaction with the crowd, the revival of rock and roll, Rock's underground presence now, the band's beginnings, and working with Roadrunner Records. Before we get into this interview, I definitely want to give a shout out to Knox Money, Bang Belushi, and Follow Mouth for the theme music for Fresh is the Word. And also, I want to remind you how you can support the podcast. You can always go to freshisthepodcast.com and share any of the links to any of the episodes on any of your social media platforms. And you can pretty much subscribe to Fresh of the Word anywhere that podcasts are streamed. And that includes Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere. Rating and reviews will also help the podcast also, especially on Apple Podcasts. 
And if you have anything you want to send me, any feedback, whatever, you can always email me at djkfresh at gmail.com. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kfreshtheword. And on Facebook at facebook.com slash kfresh. You can follow Fresh is the Word online on Twitter at Fresh is the Word. And that's is with I-Z. Instagram at Fresh is the Word Podcast. And on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast. All right, let's get on to the interview with Nick Reese of the band Joyous Wolf. I first came about you guys uh, when you were on tour with Fozzie. I uh, came to the Detroit okay, yeah. show, and you guys sounded really good, man. Um, how was it like uh, touring with Fozzie, Chris Jericho and the boys? Uh, it was really cool. We learned we learned a lot. Um, I mean, I think that's... If there's like this, the pantheon of bands that like taught us a lot about the road and whatever, I think it's probably Fozzie, Adelitas Way, and um, Royal Bliss. Those band, those guys, and those bands uh, became mentorish figures for us. You know, um, they just sort of uh, had an understanding of the road, obviously, because they've been doing it for so long and. We we were very green when we went on tour with Fozzie. That was our first big boy tour, you know. <laughs> right. um, really, I mean, for the amount of time that we did, I mean, and we, and we then we jumped on a tour with Adelaide's Way, who we had toured with before, and then we just kept on going until June, you know. And that t- tour started in March, so we were out there for a for quite a long time. The, the Fozzie guys, though, in particular, uh, were amazing. Uh, Chris Jericho is is such a nice man he's and rich and all the guys that they were they were the sweetest people in the world to us i mean uh, apparently we replaced this band that was causing a lot of problems on that tour the beginning (laughs) part of that tour and uh when we came on and they saw that we were you know not a bunch of fucking shit eating assholes uh uh, i think i think all the groups on there uh, which was a great tour. It was a lot of fun. Made a lot of lifelong friends on that run. Uh, it, it was fantastic. Uh, you know, um, they treated us like ki- like sons. They brought they would. They remember in uh, in New York City, they brought us up on stage, and uh, Les closed the set out. Like they gave us their instruments, and we all just kind of went crazy with them. They were they were very they were much kinder than I think they had to be. You know, and and to this day, uh, Chris and Rich are, are two guys that that I love a lot. And I, I do talk to them every now and then, and, and they're always wishing me the best, and they've been very supportive. Uh, Jericho actually gave us some of our first uh, streams over on Octane on his new rock show, and that was uh, really good of him, you know, and he's still doing it, so it means a lot to us. Yeah, you mentioned how it was a bit, you know, these tours were a bit of a learning curve, and these bands were uh, sort of mentors to you guys. You know, what were some of the things that you learned while on tour? It, it's sort of like you, you everyone's got different um uh, i guess routines you know like how to it's, it's all a rhythm it's all about a rhythm and uh i remember asking chris early on about how he maintains himself but some of the other guys that run that run with us like uh, a guy named brian from dark sky choir and uh of course uh the guys in through fire who were on there with us um i remember just asking all of them about you know what they do to to counteract the obvious wear and tear that you're going to have, and for me, there's a lot of wearing and tearing. If you've seen my live show, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I, I pick up whatever I can from these guys, you know, and 
for every tour that we've been on, I've always asked those questions, you know, and they, they just provide you with a little, because again, they got 10, 20 years more experience than I do, you know, and, and they throw me little nuggets of information like, you know, uh, drink this, eat this, don't eat this, you know, uh, sleep, you know, you're so excited to run the road for the first time. You're not sleeping a lot. And that first tour was, a was tough on me. It was, it was really about learning how to deal with that amount of work ahead of you. And, and it, it was a professional like breeding process. You know, we were, we were green and by the tail end of it and by the end of 2018, especially when we finished it off with Royal bliss, who had tons of road experience and tons of industry experience. Like I just asked anything that I possibly could to give me an edge. You know, if they, if there's something that they don't, or they know that I don't, you know, I want to know what it is. And, and it, it helps me in a lot of ways and it helps me grow as a performer and as a, um, as a, as a vocalist. And I really do appreciate those people more than they probably know. Yeah. That's very, a very mature outlook that you have, you know, being a young band about learning the craft more, you know, where did, you know, where did you sort of pick up on that, you know, to, to just consciously be a student of, you know, the rock and roll game, you know, instead of being a, yeah. you know, a little shithead youngin. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I think, I think it's always kind of been instilled in me. Uh, I, I can't really speak for the others, but the others are, are very much in the same wheelhouse that when, when we are brought in and we are accepted and, and we have these, I mean, brother figures, truly brother figures, because they, they just treated us so well, you know, they would give us catering <laughs> that, that we shouldn't have had. And, and they would, you know, they, they would treat us well because we were just, again, like I said, we, we, we just know that we're not going to go into anything and just be an asshole. We're not going to go up and just be a bunch of jerks, you know, like we're on this run with them and, and, you know, we're going to do our best to maintain, you know, like this, the peace. We don't want to do anything that would, upset them. Sometimes things happen and you can't control them. You know, sometimes you, you yell at the crowd a bit too, uh, meanly and someone's family's in the crowd and, you know, <laughs> you insult somebody, you, you know, and it, it, you know, things happen. You know? <laughs> it definitely have happened to me. Um, but you know, and it's never malicious. It's just kind of, it's just kind of the, the, the thing, you right. know, it's kind of the thing, uh, that you do as you do in a, in a rock and roll outfit. But, um, for, for me personally, though, to answer your question, sorry. Uh, I, um, I grew up in a family where my, my dad was very much, you know, t taught me to be observant and taught me that you never know too much that, that it's just very, very familiar things. You know, you never know enough. And for me in particular, that's kind of how I've always been when, I never, something that I was told a long time ago by my dad was, uh, he's like, if, if someone's doing what you're doing and they're doing it better than you <laughs> or, or, uh, you know, more successfully than you, those are the people that you want to criticize you. <laughs> right. Those are the people that you want to hear things from. And sometimes you get some guys who just want to, you know, don't care about you and they just want to stomp on you because that's just who they are. They're just, 
jackasses, you know. You get the uh, occasional egotist like that, but uh, I'm happy to say in my experience that everyone I've met from Slash to um, uh, Lacuna Coil have all been very, very nice. Corey Taylor, especially Corey Taylor, I can say that, very much has been nothing but supportive and and egging me on to know, like, no, do more, do more, you know, like, (laughs) do more, uh, you know, and I, I take what they say very, very dearly, because these are the people that I watched growing up and, and idolize and, and I just want to be the best performer and the best front man that I can be for my band and for the audience that I'm playing to. And I'm always growing and every run I do, I pick up something different and I pick up something new and I learn something new and I never want it to be the same. I want every run I do, I'm always going to have, you know, the, the front flip and the splits, but I also want to <laughs> be able to incorporate even more ridiculous things because I want the show to continuously evolve and I want to continuously evolve as a performer. Um, so that's pretty much why that happens right there. With, you know, with doing all these opening slots and on these tours, you know, what do you set out to accomplish, you know, on these tours each and every night when you go on stage? I mean, this is just, if we're talking about like what's in my head five seconds before the bell rings. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like, I, I have um, a goal of, of the show's over. It has to be over when I'm over. There's going to be other things happening that night, but for me, if it's not over for the people in the crowd, then I didn't do it well enough. So I want, even though I'm opening, when I'm done, I want to make sure that they're done too. <laughs> I think that's my mission statement is just to rock them so hard that they want to go home early. <laughs> right, right. What's been, um, what's been the general feedback that you've gotten from the crowds you know, on these tours, you know, whether it's just what you see in the crowd during your performance or afterwards when you're just shooting the shit at the merch table. I mean, during performances, I think a lot of it, I mean, is, I think there's a lot of shock, you know, I feel like when we go up on stage and we're just sort of standing there and we're getting ready because we don't get this big dramatic opening, you know, we're there, we're standing, we're line checking, you know, but we stand there and, and, you know, we're ourselves and, getting ourselves together and and then we just go off like a bomb you know and and that's that's always been our strategy and it's worked very well for us it's just uh we're gonna hit them so hard that it's like when there's a bright light shine in your eyes you know you get that little spot ingrained in your eye right <laughs> it's got to be like that you got to hit them so hard that they feel you for the next 24 hours right you know so I, I feel there's a little, there's always a little bit of surprise, which I think is great. I love that. And as the bigger things get for me and the boys, the less surprise I think there is. I think I think the surprise is being um, swapped for anticipation, which makes me happy. It's what I want, you know. It's what I want. I want people to anticipate a great show. That makes me feel like I'm doing a good job, you know. Um, but 99% of the time, it's been positive. I don't, we've, we've never, I think we've only had one truly bad show, but there was a lot of reasons for it. So it's not necessarily our fault, you know? Um, but 90, 98% of the time we've had nothing but 
positive reactions. And at the merch table, you know, um, I don't know if you follow any of our social media or anything, but you'll see that when I um, meet people, I will take a photo with them and I'll make a collage of all the people I meet that night oh, and yeah. I'll post it to our social media. Right. Yeah. I remember. And, yeah. Um, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. I, I do that for every date and I'm going to do it for all these upcoming shows with Buck Cherry and everything. And I really want uh, the people that I meet to know that I appreciate them, you know, and that they're a part of our family and they're a part of Joyous Wolf after they come and talk to us. Like you're a part of this, you know, you're a part of our mission, you know, right. of our, uh, of our uh, family, you know? Yeah. And that and, goes a long way with people because sometimes that's the only show they might go out to for the month or the year, you know? Yeah. You know, and, and I take that into consideration, you know, this, there's going to be people that have to go to work tomorrow. And if I can make them forget about that day job or, office job or construction job or whatever they might be doing, you know, I can make them have a break from that for, for 30 minutes to 40 minutes to an hour. You know, that's, that's the best thing I think that I can do, you know, is, is know that I've, I've, I've removed them from the, the norm for themselves. And I just want to, I want them to have a good time. You know, I want them to, to experience something and, and feel revitalized so that they can go back to that and not have to, dredge it as much you know because i know what that's like and right yeah when i saw you guys open for fozzy i was definitely impressed um a lot of energy on this on stage um the the musicmanship from you know the guitarists and everything was just like like off the charts it was so much fun to watch you guys and you guys you know definitely have you know the inf you know the influence of like some you know old school you know, um, you know, Delta blues, hard rock, that type of stuff. But, yeah, you know, you have yeah. that heavier sort of metal vibe to it. And I feel like, you know, that music has always kind of been around in one form or another. But, like, lately it's been more of a – there's been a little bit more popularity with it, a little bit hot-button topic about, you know, those throwback, especially with a band like Greta Von Fleet, you know. What's, mm -hmm. you know, what's mm -hmm. sort of your, you know, your thought, you know, being a newer band that, you know, definitely has an influence from previous generations? I mean, I feel like it, I feel like, <laughs> I feel frustrated. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. Um, because it's, it, what you just said is every band that's ever existed. Right. You know, <laughs> you know and that, and that's the thing that, I mean. I enjoy the fact that, that it's, you know, that, that people are, are taking more an interest in, in rock and roll again. You know, I mean, it's nice and it's, it's cool and it's awesome to see. And, but at the same time, I, what I don't really understand is we had rock before, not that long ago. You know, we, in the two thousands, we had a ton of rock bands. Right. So this whole thing about, Oh, rock is dead. Or, or rock, <laughs> where has rock been? It's like, what do you mean? We had tons of bands. <laughs> We've had tons of them, you know? Tons. Like, we, we tons, tons, <laughs> and tons, tons. You know, it's just like, it, it, what I think it is, is for a lot of people, it's just these people who never listened to it, period, and are now being introduced to it. And they're like, where has this been my whole life? And I'm like, it's always been there. You, you just weren't looking at it, you know? If you're not, not going to find something if you're not looking for it, you know? Right. And 
you know, like, again, we had the white stripes and we had the strokes and the vines and we had uh, wolf mother and we had rival sons, which again, I love that people are finally now being like, Oh, this band's amazing. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) they've been around since 2009. Like they've been there. They were there. You know, they were they were there and just, you know, and now people are going looking at their whole discography and that's beautiful. And I'm like, wow, think that's a big because there's a band that deserves it, you know. But again, we've had all these we've had tons of rock bands, you know, there have been tons of them. And it's just this really weird thing now. It's just like, man, these these kids listen to classic rock. What the hell? It's a, I mean, I always say this story, but every football game I ever went to in the history of my life at, in high school, they played. They played "Welcome to the Jungle" and "Back in Black" and, right. You know, freaking uh, Queen. You know, like we. This was not like this. Whoa! You like we we dug deep. We there's these kids. They were listening to techno, and then they uncovered a stone, and underneath <laughs> the rock, there it was, a stack of records from the '60s. And they're like, "What is this?" <laughs> and they sniffed it. And their grandfather came out, the eldest in the village, and he's like, "Ah, you have found." The the of the past, you know. Right. (laughs) We have the internet. You know, I've been listening to rock music since I was, you know, in my early teens. And again, I listened to to blues and rock, early rock and roll, like fifties rock and roll. And that was that was my introduction. Was fifties Eddie Cochran, Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, uh, Fats Domino, and then you know all the uh, smattering of of blues performers. I mean, that's those are my roots and those are where i got my chops from and 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 ideas from and soul singers and funk bands and everything you know and i i just i take advantage of the internet and i have ever since i was you know i had my first computer i went and looked up hound dog by elvis presley even though i heard the song a million times i remember specifically looking it up online and playing it and be like oh it's so cool i can look up a song and press play you know and there it is and that's that's the thing that is weird for me when it comes to this. I'm glad people are taking an interest, but there have always been bands and there will be more bands. And I'm glad that people are starting to look for these bands. But the one thing I hope to erase is this whole thing about, man, these young kids, where did they, how did they find out about this, this <laughs> secret called rock and roll? You know, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. And I'll ever right. get it. And you know, I, I I appreciate the the that people are listening to it. That's at the end of the day, I appreciate it. But I do get annoyed when people are like, "Man, how did you guys come to like this stuff?" It's like we had dad and mom. Right, you know, they, right. they 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 lived in the '70s and you know, the '60s, and they they liked music too. Wouldn't you know it? And they played some of those songs a couple times. You know. And the weird thing is that like they. There's this whole that whole rock is dead thing is crazy to me because there's always there's there's always been these good, you know, rock tours, these packages that, you know, whether it's like one thousand, two thousand seat, you know, capacity places, then you have all these festivals. And then like what I I didn't I didn't get to read all the um the whole uh, article, but I saw something where it said in the past year rock music was the highest highest revenue generating genre in music like whereas like yeah. pop, pop music might have the most streams but the most revenue was generated with rock music apparently yeah the past merchandise year. you know yeah. yeah so 
it, it's well, 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 the, my theory is this, and, and it's not even a theory. This is the reality, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you the answer to that right now. And and I actually said this in another interview recently um, yeah. with uh, Blake was that rock is dead, and why I say rock is dead is that people got to understand is the rock that you remember is dead. Yeah. You know, it is. It's gone. It's it's considered vintage. When something's vintage, it's a collector's item. You know? Right. It's like if you have Star Wars cups from 1977, that's, you know, they're not going to make new Star Wars cups from 1977. They're going to make cups now, you know, collector's <laughs> cups. I'm just saying, like, collecting anything, stamps, buttons, uh, medieval weaponry. I, it doesn't matter, you know, <laughs> if it's if it's old, it's vintage. And and again, there's there's a charm to vintageness, you know. And you can have uh, perfumes of vintage, you know, a waft things of vintage esque stuff and influence because everything's influenced by the past. Look at clothes. Clothes goes around in circles, you know. Yeah. Next thing you know, we're gonna be wearing leg warmers and have giant hair again, and you know. Like, it's going to happen, you know, because everything goes around and around and around. You know, bomber jackets were huge in the 60s. Oh, look, they're back again. You know, it's <laughs> like everything's influenced by the past. But rock and roll, as as the people of the 90s and the 80s and the 2000s, and like the first, you know, the first 10 years of 2000s, and, and in the 70s and the 60s and the 50s, rock and roll to all of those people, as they knew it, is dead. And... That's not a bad thing. It's not, you know. In, in the 90s, when grunge happened, we didn't look at it like, well, this isn't 1980, you know. Like, <laughs> shoot them, you know. Like, there's, there's no, they're not talking, singing about girls washing cars, you know. Like, <laughs> it, you know, no one, no one did that. You know, no one, I mean, right. there were people who were upset that hair metal died. I'm sure there were more than a handful. I know a couple of them. Oh, yeah. I used to work with some of them. But, um. You know, but but that's just that's just the progression of the genre. And to me, in a lot of ways, since like the early 2000s, there hasn't been a lot of progression in the genre because people can't let go of, you know, because we're in this nostalgia culture now yeah. where everything needs to remind me of the happy feelings I had when I was a child. And, you know, I'm as big a victim of it as anybody, but like – um. But rock and roll, you know, these people have this tight to their chest. This is what it is. You have to look like Kiss or you have to look like Van Halen or you have to look like Pearl Jam or you have to look like this and this and this. But the thing is, to me, rock and roll is like an old car. It's passed down through the family. For some reason, this thing has not broken down yet. <laughs> it doesn't exactly drive well anymore. The, I mean, the suspension shit, but you can fucking – be 16 years old, get in it, and take a girl on a date because that's all it needs to do. As long as it gets you from that to her house to the movie theater and back, you're solid. You can get towed home. You don't care, you know? Right. Uh, it's been passed down, this car, and, you know, and everyone gives the keys to the young kid. They give it to the kids. They give it to the kids. You take it. You do something with it. Take it. Do something with it. Take it. Do something with it. Take it. Do it something with it. That's how all music is. Take it. Do something with it, you know? It's your turn. And I think what happened to me is that uh, I think they were the last generation was hesitant in a lot of ways to give up the give up the car, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and and the thing is, but it's not a bad thing because 
things need to change. Things need to look different. Things need to be updated in, in, in a good way, you know, don't fucking rip shit off, you know, <laughs> don't, you know, don't, don't try and get a classic car, you know, and, you know, make it a Rusto mod, you know, completely update it and then be like, okay, I put an MP3 player in it. Like, don't do that. You know, <laughs> you know, you don't need to do that. Um, you know what I mean? Like to, to, it, to me, rock and roll is, is, is evolving. And I feel like some people are uncomfortable with it. And it, it's a very telling time because we're in a really weird limbo of where rock and roll is going. And I'm happy to say that I've seen quite a bit, quite a bit of music from some young groups that I think are really going to take it in different directions. And I'm, I'm not going to be speaking on behalf of my own group because I don't want to sound, I, I don't know what we're capable of. And, and all I hope is that we, we put out a decent, <laughs> something that moves people decently, right. you know, but, but as far as other groups that I've seen, I, I have a lot of, a lot of um, confidence in rock and roll's future and it's going to be different and it's going to be, it's going to have a lot of life in it. You know, it's going to be given a facelift. It's going to be whatever people want it to be. And whatever the, the group that says I'm a rock band, when they take that and say I'm a rock band, whether they're wearing pigtails and neon yellow with red (laughs) rubber boots, you know, they're a rock band. Right. You know, if that's how they, if that's the music that they are putting out into the world, it doesn't matter what the imagery is behind it. It doesn't have to be flower child. It doesn't have to be motorcycle bike with ta- covered in head to toe and tattoos, smoke, chain smoking cigarettes. You know, I, I have to have a bottle of whiskey before 10 a.m. because that's what rock and roll is. You know what I mean? Rock and roll is an attitude. It is not a look. And I feel like it's also not a sound. Not anymore. You know, it used to be in 1955, but now it's, it's so much more. It's so expensive. Think about, again, Muse is considered a rock and roll band and so is Cake. Yeah. And those bands couldn't be more different, you know, other than the fact that they use instruments. <laughs> right, right. Or so like that's my whole thing. Is, 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 <laughs> if I was on some, some TV show where they asked, you know, I wish I could go like before like the National Assembly or something like <laughs> and be like, I, <clears throat> I'd like to say, old people, we love you, but she got to let go. <laughs> <laughs> what what part of the rock and roll aesthetic do you f- feel like is still alive and well here in 2019? I think the main thing about rock and roll is, is about is about expression. And I feel like that's something that is very much alive. Self-expression, you know, uh, ex- expressing yourself through the music. I believe that that is 150% more alive than ever because we're in a completely different time. We have completely different problems, completely different view sets, completely different anxieties, complete different everything. And that voice is going to start coming out. You're going to see more rock bands in the next four years than I think at any other point in history. I really feel that. And they're going to have something to say. And I feel like that's the main thing is that you need to have something to say. Everybody wants to have a good time, but I encourage upcoming groups and upcoming bands, upcoming singers and, and et cetera. I, I encourage them all like write what you're feeling, 
write what you're feeling because odds are a lot of people are feeling that way and it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed properly and not heavy handedly and not forcibly, you know, like, cause it, no one ever, if, if you put too much thought into something to me, it, 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 it sullies the whole thing. It's, it's done, you know, but right. I think that's that was the one what, main thing. Right. I think that that's was the what the, thing. um, the, um, kind of like the, what, what was so great about maybe like the, the two thousands, like emo or metalcore bands that even are so beloved here in 2019 is that those, you know, those uh, bands were writing what they felt like in comparison to the nineties, you had like the grunge, but it was just like, yeah. very, they were, they were writing what they felt. And then the eighties was so like filthy and decadence and whatnot. But I think that's what's yeah. so cool about the 2000s with a lot of the metalcore bands, like the emo bands and stuff like that. They connected because they were just writing what they felt, and people are still very much emotional about those bands. I mean, again, it's the same reason why people worship Kurt Cobain to you know to this day, or or Jim Morrison, or yeah. um, you know any any of these of these fallen individuals, you know, who died and before they really could really put out what they could put out, you know, they worship these people because, because they, for whatever reason, they tapped into something that everyone was on in that wavelength. And it still communicates today because it, it's just, it was an honesty. And I feel like if there's something that I believe rock and roll needs, it's honesty, you know, it's to take away the irrelevantness of, of like, of of the of just of just like ignoring things. Don't ignore things, but also don't hammer things into people's skulls until they <laughs> submit. You know, it, it's 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 a very fine line. And and as as a lyricist and as a performer, all I really care about is being honest with the audience. And that's my self-expression. And I believe that all of the different ver forms of it you know, is very much alive in rock and roll and will continue to be because as long as there's somebody experiencing something right now, there's going to be somebody who writes a song that helps them get through it. And that's how I feel. Right. Like rock and roll, like for, for however, however, how long it's been a while now has been a, a genre that really wasn't taken too seriously by like the Grammys and it's no longer necessarily uh, a genre that you would think about in in uh, within like pop music. Do you feel like that's a good thing or a bad thing for rock and roll? I feel like it's the best thing that could have happened because I feel like it's right back where it started. It's back in the interim. Everyone's bitching about it's not on the Grammys. How dare they? You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, guys, who cares? Who cares? You know, like you think do you think do you think the sex pistols like when they in their prime cared if they were gonna win a Grammy? <laughs> you know? Do you think do you think that any of these I mean again, do you think that any of the guys who came rolling out with it ever thought, yeah, I'm gonna win a Grammy for this? That was never the goal. That was never the the thing, you know? It's like to be what, you're being recognized because you sold stuff. That's what that's what a Grammy is. 
you know, and to that, I mean, it means different things to different people. So I'm not going to force my uh, opinion on anyone. Do you feel, feel all you want, but at the end of the day, you're being rewarded something because you got the most pictures in magazines and you got the most plays. And I mean, again, there's a win in there and that you should feel, you should feel like you did well because people enjoyed what you did. But at the same time, it's like rock and roll is right back where it needs to be in the fringe, in the inner rim, because that's where it started. And that's where the best stuff, the best defining stuff came from. You know, I mean, think about a band like the doors, for example, that's a great example to me. How weird is that band? People don't don't realize how weird that band was, you know, coming out of the mid sixties and, and your first real hit is, is, uh, um, light my fire, (laughs) you know, listen to that song. That keyboard, Raymond Zarek's keyboard opening, nothing <laughs> sounds like that. Back then, that was like uh, if if a UFO landed at Fenway Park today and a guy got out and said, ha-ha, humans, what's up, dude? It, it, it's like that. It's like, what's happening? What is this? Right. You know? What, this is so bizarre, you know? But that's what it was. It wasn't about uh, aiming to be like this commercial firepower, you know? It was just like, this is the music that we're making. This is what we're writing about. This is what we're talking about. This is what we feel. Let's go play it. And that's what rock people of the forces of rock and roll should keep in mind because there's a lot of people on this planet. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's room for everybody, you know? Right. And the art of it I feel thrives best when it's sort of squashed down, you know, that's why you have like the, the late sixties, early seventies, you know, or all of this talent and the early nineties, you have all of this talent because there's stuff brewing underground, you know, all over the eighties, you have bands like black flag, you know, boiling underneath, you know, the hair metal dominated, you know, (laughs) place of like the Van Halen. You know, underneath all that, no one was paying attention to that, but that's where all the real stuff was happening. Right. You know, that's where the real formation was happening in, on, in the sludge underneath, you know, everything else. That's where how bands like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Screaming Trees and uh, Blind Melon and, you, you know, I could name a hundred million groups that, that came out of that ooze, you know. Right. And, you know, and then you get like the college bands in the 80s that weren't like really peak successful groups, but they were, but they were doing something different. And that like bands like REM and the replacements and, you know, and all the new wave stuff. And there, there was, there was a lot of things that were brewing for a combination of something that was going to be really amazing because it was all of these different things brewing in one spot and then all explodes just like the English invasion, you know, the British invasion in, in the sixties, you know, all of America's blues music, everybody in America was like, ah, oh, we don't need that anymore. We, we, we had that, we're good. You know, and all of that went over to the <laughs> overseas and all of these bands came back and kicked America's ass at our own game, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> and, and again, but then you get a huge influx of American bands like the Doors, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, like, again, like North American groups like the Guess Who, you know? And, and, you know, I'm just blanking right now, but um, tons of, it, it is, it's an ebb and flow, you know? Yeah. 
So, so to me, I feel like it's a beautiful thing because it's back to where it belongs. It belongs to the people again. The people can do whatever they want with it. It's our thing. Fuck them. They don't want it. Fuck them. Right. It's ours. <laughs> we get to have it. More for us. Oh, yeah. You know, there's freaking one, like probably 500 million of us, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty huge community, you know, you know, we don't like, it's just like, oh, you know, Drake's fine. But I, I, I'd rather listen to this. So it's cool. You do that. I'm going to be over here listening to this stuff. If you want to come, you, the door's open. You know, like that's, that's kind of what it should be. You know, it's ours again. Take ownership. Take it back. It's ours. Right. Now, going back uh, some, you know, how did Joyous Wolf, you know, start? And why did this band start? <laughs> that's a funny question to me. Why? Why does it start? Why? <laughs> um, let's see. Yeah, why did it start? The prophecy said no. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say it like that. Thousands of years ago. Right. I always like asking prophecy. why a band starts because there's always, to me, I think, you could ask how did it start, but, you know, that's usually yeah. like the same story. But yeah. I'm more interested in being like, why did this band start? Like, what yeah. happened to be like, hey, we're going to start this band. This is happening. Why did it start? It started, I, I mean, I can only really say it from, from my perspective. So I'm going to be honest. It started because I, when, for me, why it started for me, you know, the others aren't here right now. So obviously they can't speak <laughs> up about this, but it started for me because I was, just I, I was in high school and I was I was a I was a basketball player. I played sports, you know, my whole life. Right. And I, I was coming around like 15, 16 years old, and I transferred high school to play basketball. And at this new school, I ended up befriending a lot of people who played guitar and who played music, you know. And and I loved music. I loved listening. I was an avid listener. I loved jazz and blues and and alternative and I was I listened to like anything I could get my hands on back then I was listening I was an avid listener but I couldn't play and I couldn't I never tried to sing and I never tried to play really and I just remember being influenced by these people around me you know playing guitars and singing and they would have like this event every month at uh at school where they could play in the auditorium for all the kids to come and watch you know yeah. all the high school kids and I was like, that sounds so cool. You know, that sounds so fun. I want, I want to be a part of that. I want to do that, you know? So I begged and begged and pleaded for a guitar. And I remember I got one for Christmas that year. And, you know, my parents were hilarious because they got me an electric guitar, but no amp. So, <laughs> cause I mean, uh, for the obvious reasons. And I remember I ended up uh, just taking odd jobs so that I could, um, I was putting together, uh, I think I put together like 500 Five hundred IKEA chairs, like uh, for uh, an office building that my mom's, what company my mom worked for was like needed these stools for this building, so they left it to me, this one kid, and they gave me uh, like pretty much a dollar a chair. I ended up getting five hundred bucks, yeah, um, something like that. I actually don't really remember, but it, it was enough money for me to buy an acoustic guitar at a pawn shop so that I could actually hear what I was doing, you know. And I just play it every day and I fell in love with it. And it was something that I just wanted more than anything. And I can't really describe to you why that is. I, I, I loved Elvis Presley and I loved 
uh, old rock and roll and the blues and 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 that was what I was trying to learn. I was teaching myself how to do. Uh, first thing I wanted to learn was how do I do that blues thing, that thing that, that you know, how do I do that twelve bar blues? I need to know. I need to know how to do that. I need to, or I'll go crazy, you know. Right. And it's, the minute I learned how to do it, you know, I would listen to records and I hear like, you know, I listen to them going, well, and I'd be like, how the hell do you do that, you know? I go, ah, oh, oh shit, you know. <laughs> I couldn't sing for beans, you know. I really couldn't, and I learned how to do that. And I guess, but just by every single day for years, you know, and then I remember like after a year, first year of doing that, I was like, well, I, I am ready. <laughs> I deemed myself ready to be in a band. So I went on Craigslist and I joined bands. I was in punk bands, you know, pop punk bands, screamy punk bands. Uh, I was in little alt rock indie bands. I was in any band that would take me for a while. I was, you know, and then I finally had like my own solid band, you know, that was like, whatever you know just playing with your friends and it just became like this is life for me you know this this is what i want yeah this is what i want to do i love to perform i loved being able to put on a show i loved it that people would watch me and have a reaction because i was a really quiet kid in school you know i was a i was very much to myself and you know when when you spend a lot of of your life like that you don't you don't really know what it's like to get to be the center of attention to, to have that. And any singer that says they don't want attention is full of it. You know, <laughs> they wouldn't get up there if they didn't want people to look at them. Right. You know, and, and I think it all really stems from that. And I, I just remember when I had this one band that was around for a couple of years and then it, it didn't pan out, you know, and I was probably 19 years old approaching my 20th birthday. And I just remember feeling like I'm, I was in school and I was miserable and I hated my life and I hated everything. And I was just so full of this like black tar hatred, you know, cause I just didn't have my outlet of any kind. And I went to guitar center a couple before my old band broke up. I met this guy, you know, I met this guy named Blake, you know, and, and we met for probably 15, 20 minutes total. And I was in the, my old band still. And, he asked me if he needed if I needed a guitar player, and I don't know what, really why. Because usually when you're a band, you're like, "No, nah, I got my band. I'm good," you know. And I didn't really even see him play. You know, he and I just jammed a little song on acoustic guitars and whatever. And the next thing I knew, um, <laughs> years later, that that 20 minutes was a lot, you know. <laughs> right. And and that that that. I think about that a lot now after all this stuff that's happened, you know, with Atlantic and all the touring and the festivals and my life now and, and things to come. And I, I really look at that and it was all just because it happened because I just couldn't see myself doing anything else. <laughs> and I, all I wanted was to be a front man in a group. I wanted to, to write songs. I wanted to tell people what I felt and I wanted to do it with people who took it as seriously as I did. And I did find those people. And it just, it's just evolved into this greater thing. And I'm so grateful, you know, for all of it. I'm grateful for um, my my band members. I couldn't have more talented people to work with, I think, because they're just completely in their own zone and, and they all contribute a piece of themselves into what we do and 
uh, the reason why grandly for all of us, I believe, is just because we've, we feel it's our purpose. <laughs> Everyone wants a purpose, and I feel like for the four of us, our purpose is to, to play in this group. You guys uh, did eventually get signed to uh, Roadrunner Records. Um, how, you know, how has the experience been working with them? And, you know, uh, what's the future got to uh, got in store for you guys? Well, there's a record coming very soon. I can say it. I can't tell you exactly when, but I can say it's very soon. Very soon. Cool. And it will be our uh, first little stint. And it's it's exactly what it is, you know. It's a record, you know, and it's a Joyous Wolf record, and we hope that people really dig it, <laughs> obviously. Um, working with Roadrunner has been an experience because we we were signed off one performance, which was a huge compliment, you know, and also extremely <laughs> pressuring. You know, we, we played Aftershock Festival in 2017, and we played for, we didn't even know he was there. Uh, the guy who signed us, a guy named Dave Rath. Um, he was in the audience and it, we had just had our, that was our first tour ever outside of California. First time we ever played outside. We played four festivals. They really gave us, our TKO, our booking agency, really gave us a shot and, and uh, the media was super kind to us and the people that saw us really, really liked what we were doing and, so coming off of that, we played Aftershock Festival, and he pretty much saw that show, hadn't even heard a demo or anything, and, and signed us. And from there, it's all just been like, okay, we're working with this legendary record label, you know, with huge heroes of ours in the past, and and it, it's it's it was very surreal, and but it's been a process, you know, nothing was, it it was not. Um, stars and glitter, you know, and it, and it still really isn't, you know, it's, it's been about being as professional as, as possible and working as hard as you can to get the best you that you can. And it, it's been a process for sure. And, but now I, I couldn't be happier. I, I'm, we, we all talked about it when we were on the road, we were listening to uh Gojira's record, uh, magma if you've ever heard it it's a great album listen to it right um uh we were listening to that on the road when we were before we played aftershock and we we're like man how cool would it be if we were on roadrunner <laughs> <laughs> you know and then when it happened it was just like oh okay this is uh this is real right you know and it's been a hike since then man it's been nothing but but uh trial and error but there's been a lot of growth like the band that you saw um, play with Fozzy a year ago is not the band that you will see if you come to see us on this next run um, because we're just better. <laughs> we're, we're disciplined. We're, we're tight. We're older. We're smarter. And, and we've had a lot of, of really wonderful people support us and, and bring us only forward and upward. So when you see us again, you will see uh, uh, the future of, of of what we hope to to be. How did you sort of reconcile it in your mind when you get signed for this red this legendary label? 
you know, just off of one performance, you know, how did you sort of reconcile all that in your mind? We, we knew we weren't bad, you know, <laughs> you got to have some kind, I mean, you don't, you don't be a fucking, like, we're the best band in this in the world, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I, I'm not about any of that. We knew we weren't bad, but we didn't know really where we stood in comparison to, you know, the global <laughs> market of, of, you know, of everything and, and competition of all of these groups. And it, it was very much a humbling thing. I don't think we, I think we all considered ourselves very lucky and we didn't, there wasn't one moment where we felt like, Oh, now we're like these big dudes. Never, you know, you can, again, you can follow us on our, nothing really changed. You know, we, we, we didn't, our attitudes didn't change. If anything, it just amplified everything that we already felt. You know, we, we, we knew, okay, we got this, but we don't want to lose this, you know? And that turns you, it turns your dial higher, you know? We wanted to impress and we wanted them to know that, that it wasn't a mistake. So it, 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 it was a humbling thing, if anything. And I always like to ask this question to people, you know, what, what's something about your life? What's, what's sort of a nugget of knowledge taken from your life and career that anybody listening to this interview, whether they know your band or not, even care about rock and roll, if they're just in some sort of any sort of avenue of artistry that they, they could sort of project into their own life in regards to a, you know, a lesson about your life. Hmm. Give me a sec on that. Let me think about this. I don't want to just sprout something out. <laughs> hmm. Lesson. I think. I think a lesson that I've learned in my life, a hundred and fifty percent, is that your you are one being. You are one fragment of an entire um, an entire planet, an entire population. You are one thing. You are one little piece of, of a much bigger thing. And it's like one giant living body. You're a fragment in this living body and, and you have what you have, what you are given, what you, what fate gives you, your hands, your body, your brain, your voice, your thoughts, your, your feelings. And don't let that reality make you feel like you are not capable and not enough for anything because no matter who you are or where you come from, the obvious, you know, you have unlimited ability regardless of the shape of your body or the color of your skin or, or the, the background you have, what house you grew up in, whether you had, one car in your family that you all shared or everybody had a car, or, you know, again, if you had a lot of money or a little bit of money or, 
you grew up in this state or that state or in Siberia or in the middle of the Antarctic. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is this, is that you recognize yourself as a vessel for whatever you want to be instead of a weight to tie you down. Because I'm at this point, I don't really have that much to say for myself. I'm just sort of throwing myself out into the world with some friends and hoping that something sticks and that my philosophies make sense to people and I don't sound like a crazy person. But as I was saying, I was just a no one, a nobody. I, I, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of things. I didn't have a lot of colorful things to look at. You know, I was very plain and boring. That's how I felt about myself. I felt like I didn't have anything to offer, really. I, I knew that I could run fast and I could, you know, put a ball into a hoop sometimes but I didn't know much else about myself. And all of that said, I did know that, that I felt that I was more and that I could be more. And I feel that everybody should know that the number one thing I've learned in my life is that I am more and that everybody is more and that anyone can be more and that you should know that you're more already. And you need to not be afraid of people looking at you and judgment. You need to just go forward in what you feel and, and execute it because if you don't do that, then you're just doing a disservice to yourself and your own humanity. Well, great. That was a, uh, it's been great talking with you, my friend. Um, you guys are about to uh, hit the road with Buck Cherry on their uh, war paint tour, 2019. Um, before we get out of here, where can people go online to get more information about this tour and everything that uh, Joyous Wolf is, uh, you know, doing? Uh, JoyousWolf.com has links to all our socials and has a uh, tour uh, sidebar, obviously, so you can see all the dates that we'll be doing. Uh, there'll be even more announcements coming this year. Lots of big stuff on the horizon, and I'm excited. And uh, follow us at uh, Instagram and Twitter at JoyousWolfMusic. Yeah, you can find us literally anywhere. Just Google Joyous Wolf, because <laughs> thankfully we are still the only thing with that name. <laughs> right, right. Cool. It was uh, great talking with you. I'm definitely gonna try to make it out to the to the show in Michigan when you get here, and uh, definitely want to yeah, see uh, see uh, how you guys are uh, looking these days. Thanks, man. It should be a very fun event. All right, that was my interview with Nick Reese. More information about Joyous Wolf and all the tour dates coming up with Buck Cherry are in the show notes for this podcast at freshthepodcast.com. So, all right, that's another episode in the books. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.